0: Peri'k Shira is an ancient midrash that was only known to a handful of Kabbalists up until the be one of the worst bombing attacks on the number two bus in Jerusalem. And then what happened was with that explosion that took so many lives, a whole new world opened up about revealing the Kabbalah. And it seems to be a parallel process. The more pain the Jewish people go through, the more is revealed in holiness. We have to remember that this physical life is limited, and the life of the soul is unlimited. So we in Judaism we always want to try to attach ourselves to the infinite, to the one God who one is seems to be a finite number. Hi She seems to be a finite number but really attaching ourselves to the one God opens infinity so basically when the Mishnah was codified in the year 200 by Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi he was the prince of the Jewish people at that time he was living in a in a integrated community of Romans and Jews in a town called Sipori in the central Galilee. And he was interacting with, uh, with the Romans and understanding that the Jewish people were going to assimilate. And at that point, he made a tactical decision to take what was formerly an oral tradition, exclusively an oral tradition, and to turn it into a written Tradition that would then be expounded expounded on, and would continue to be oral, and continue to be the expanding universe of Torah that we are experiencing now with the great, tremendous revelation of Kabbalah in our times. So what happened was a lot of uh, the the number two bus goes through my son's neighborhood, which is a, a very Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem, and it winds its way through much of the city, goes to the to the Holy Wall the Western Wall and when so many people were killed on this bus their reaction was not to go out and do political protesting on the street and you know like go kill some Arabs or something like a negative violent kind of response their response was to get this out into the world and it's only recently been translated into English and it's available there's a a phone number looks like a Brooklyn number if anybody wants to order them after the class I can give you that number but what I want to explain is that when Behuda Nasi codified the Mishnah certain things were excluded they were not like part of the canonized version of the Mishnah and among those things that were excluded was a Braita. a Braita means uh, an external Mishnah it's not you won't find it in the book of the Mishnah but it is continued as an oral commentary that is parallel to the Mishnah so this Braita talks about King David that when King David finished writing his 150 chapters of the Psalms he had this kind of great feeling about himself he was really feeling on top of the world and he said ah master of the universe is there anyone who sings more songs to you than me (laughs) trouble (laughs) right it can also be read master of the universe I only wrote 150. Is there, isn't there, there anyone who sings more than me? Okay. As he's saying this, a little frog hops up and says, "Ribbit, ribbit. guess what? I sing more songs than you do. What's this all about? So if you look at the word, look, you can look at the picture of the frog. It's on the last page. Among the six chapters of the Perikshira. the last chapter is that of the frog uh, the little lowly creatures like the frogs and the scorpions and the ants and the mice they also have a song so this little frog if you look at the Hebrew word for frog anybody know what it is? spardea so spardea is made up of two words sipor dea the frog comes after the fish because it's amphibious so it lives part time in the water. So if you look at that, see, it means a bird of knowledge. So the, the Brita goes on to tell this story of this frog. The frog, in order to mate, it has to croak. It has to kind of echolocate so that potential mates can find it. It has to make this sound. But the, so the problem is is that as soon as it makes this sound, its arch enemy comes down and finds it. So it's this paradoxical survival kind of dis- extinction kind of difficulty that's going on for this frog as it's echoing and hoping to find a mate. So it says that even though it knows that it's going to be in danger, the, this, the drive for survival is so intense then it's still going to keep on quoting. Okay, so that's what's going on here with the little Jew who is this support Dea, this bird of knowledge. That we keep on echoing the message of God's oneness out into the universe even though everybody comes at us from all directions and wants to quiet us, wants to eliminate us. We keep on echoing. So who is this Sapordia? If you take the numerical values of the letters K, Reish, it equals Shlomo ben David, Shlomo, the son of David, Solomon. So this is absolutely awesome. Who's, who do we want to exceed us in our life? We want our children to go beyond us we want them to sing more songs than we sing we want them to be even more successful than we are and here it is Solomon the son of David is saying in a certain way I am going to sing more songs than you and not only that but I am going to sing 3,000 parables the, the whole book of, of Mishle of Proverbs is from, from Solomon the son of David I am going to exceed you have no fear don't worry there is someone who will sing more songs than you who will continue your work? So that's the Braita, and the Braita is explaining to us that all the creatures of the universe have have a song that they sing. As you see here in the Parkshira, the songs that each creature sings are verses from mainly from the Psalms, but also from different parts of the Prophets and the the writings, like Mishle. and each certain. Uh, uh, fruit or vegetable or whatever we're, we're going to d- discuss today we'll have some kind of a verse so for the pomegranates it's very obvious what the connection is because the verse is the pomegranate says your temples are like the segment of a pomegranate through your braids your cheeks are that brilliant red color it's like it's from the Song of Songs, and it's the the man describing his his wife, his lover, which is all a metaphor for God being the male figure here, and may and and we the people being the receptive female figure. So the male is describing the female as this with this beautiful complexion. Now the discussion that goes on in the Brata is who wrote the Parakshira. and so the, the the discrepancy goes up between. King David or King Solomon was it the Ah. the master of song the sweet singer of Israel King David or was it his son Solomon and that's what why we have this discussion between David on the day that he finished writing the 150th Psalm and his son Solomon as in the personage of this frog that comes up and says don't worry about a thing I have it covered and some say that it has more power than the actual psalms. So we all know that when anyone is in danger, when there is a a troubled time for Israel, I remember when I taught in the Chabad school systems in Jerusalem, and there was any kind of threat to to Israel, the the Rebbe would say, Stop everything. Don't teach anymore in the classroom. Take all the kids to the Kotel and have them say Tehillim. They would have them say the psalms at the, the Western Wall. We would stop all classes, get on buses, and go... Go to the wall. So we know that there's an awesome power of prayer, and the the very powerful essence that is captured here in the Parakshira is even more strong. Let's say imagine like pouring like uh, apple concentrate into a cup and drinking it straight. It's like it's very strong medicine. The Parakshira is like a very condensed form of not just the Psalms but all of the verses. So why do these particular verses have it, have Put so much power, because what they're doing is recognizing God in all of nature, in all of the physical creation that we can observe, and that's what these 70 archetypal songs are doing for us. They are tuning us into the fact that every every blade of grass has a guardian angel over it. This is according to the Talmud that stands over it and hits it and says, "Grow, grow." Now, imagine if a blade of grass, how much more so human beings, you know, do we have guardian angels? And there are many different versions of the pariksir. Because it was oral, there was a lot of leeway in which verses were included, which verses were excluded. And when um, the commentator, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, was studying this in the 1600s, he said, I feel beaten up like the flax stalk." like the Ketzach. Ketzach is a, a spice that's very popular in Israel right now. It's black cumin seeds. But when you beat the, the, the stalks, you make a fiber. So it used to be part of the process, kind of like beating flax to make a fiber for, for braiding into ropes and other kinds of heavy-duty kind of things. So he said, I feel beaten like the Ketzach, beaten up from trying to figure out which is the right version of this thing. There are so many different versions. There's so many different opinions about what goes in and what isn't in. He said it, it was exhausting, but he said, I think I've codified it. I think I found the real true, ex- true version of what it's supposed to be. But then he has to contend with 12 other guys who say the same thing. So there is a flexibility here, which I think is very feminine. I think that the oral Torah is the woman and the written Torah is the man. I think that the black and white, like just look how the men dress, they're black and white. That's the, the white parchment and the black letters imposed upon the white parchment, cut and dry. This is the law, straight. But we females, we're soft and round and colorful and we kind of surround, we illuminate the manuscript. So I feel that this, this is definitely an example of oral Torah because of the fact that there are so many different versions. Another question might be, what is the connection? Sometimes we have very obscure verses that don't mention anything about this particular being or creature. And why, why do they sing this particular song? So some of that is, is obscure and has to be looked into the, commentary, into the commentaries. There is a book called The Song of Creation by Rabbi Nelson Slifkin that is as a very, uh, maybe 500 page volume explaining what the connection is between each of the, the verses of the Parikhshira. But for, for our purposes, it's enough to know that each, each one has a different vibrational pattern, just as we know in the molecular structure of di- the different elements that form all of nature. We have a different blueprint for each molecule, so much more so for each complex creation in the universe. We also have known, through quantum physics, that most of the experience that we have in the physical universe is empty space. It's like 80% empty space and only a little bit of matter that dances around and is constantly in motion. Of course, a table, a marble table, is going to be a much slower vibrational pattern than boiling water, which you can actually see moving. To understand that that motion that is going on constantly is emanating a wave pattern, much the same way that sound emanates waves. So each creature of the 70 archetypal creatures has a particular wave pattern that it is constantly emanating and sending out into the universe. So an example of how we can use this was the historical event that happened right in my neighborhood in Israel. Right up the hill from where we live is a place called Beit Horon. At the bottom of that hill, there is a river valley called the Ayalon River. So when Joshua was fighting a battle in conquering the land, he needed some more time. He needed extra hours in the day. The sun was setting, and the battle was inconclusive at that point, point. and it was absolutely essential that they win this battle. So Joshua picked up the song of the sun and began to chant it over and over again. He knew it because it was known to the select few. Okay, now the translation here in this brand new translation into English, first time ever. The sun and the moon stood in their abodes. To the light of your arrows they will go, to the shining of your glittering spear. So if this isn't a description of the action of the sun, these arrows that are shot out the minute the sun rises suddenly the birds burst into song the, the world is enlivened the creepy crawlies go back into their holes human beings are no longer afraid to walk out with their heads up it's an incredible they will go to the shining of your glittering spear. description of the sun so Yeshua sang this verse over and over again and the sun could relax the sun stood in its place until there was an additional 12 hours there was a 36 hour day that that day so that Yeshua could complete the battle and then when the sun set the moon rose and Yeshua took up the song of the moon so the moon said he made the moon for the festivals the sun knows the time of its entrance so we calculate our holidays according to the moon balanced with the sun the, uh, the Islamic calendar is entirely based on the moon and that's why their Ramadan, their holy month can come out any time of the year any season of the year but we have the mitzvah that we read two parshas ago in, in Shoah we read this month should be the first of the month the month of Nisan, the month of Pesach because of that imperative we have to constantly adjust the moon to dance with the sun So it's like the male and female in the universe have to coordinate and dance their waltz in harmony with each other. That is the goal. It's not that men should be elevated above women. Women should be subservient. And it's part of the process that we're experiencing right now that men and women, the sun and the moon, metaphorically, are going to be on equal status. And that's the goal, the ultimate goal. So, Joshua sang the son of the moon, and and the verse in the book of Joshua says, Shemesh bikivon dom, may the sun stand still or be silent. Dom means silent also. When the army gets a command, amod dom, they're standing in silent attention. So the moon was, the sun was silent, Shemesh bikivon dom the Yareach, the Emek Ayalon, and the moon in the valley of Ayalon. That's the river that formed the Ayalon freeway into that riverbed is where they built it, just like I-25 is built in a riverbed, the Platte River Valley, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they built this this major freeway in, through Tel Aviv in the Ayalon River. But Yeshua used the power that he knew of for knowing the Parakshira, to cause this change, this in, in, immense change in nature. And we ask ourselves, why is this being revealed now? Why is this power of nature being revealed to the entire world? Because everything's being translated into English. Anybody could read it. Look at what's happening to our planet. We were up in the mountains for a Shabaton at Snow Mountain Ranch, and half the trees were dead, brown. It was so terrifying. There was very little snowpack, even though there was so much snow down here in Denver. Where is the water going to come for the whole western part of this country? Things are changing in such drastic forms. There have been hurricanes in London. One of my neighbors on the Meshav is from London. Hurricanes in London? Tornadoes in Florida? What's going on? If, if God isn't going to get our attention to the world of nature, how else is he going to get us to pay attention? We're so blitzed with with the media that we humans have created. So this is helping us to get in tune with nature again, to notice, to notice the little things. How did Moshe Rabbeinu become the greatest leader of all time, of all history, especially of the Jewish people? He stopped at a burning bush. He didn't just walk by. He paid attention to the little details of nature. Okay, so that's one very practical use where did the opposite come from for each item in nature is it, was it something that was created for this purpose or is it a passage from or from Torah or from somewhere else that somebody took out of a different source and applied it it's both, items? it's actually both first of all we know that the Hebrew alphabet are the, the building blocks of creation ok so it's both. We know that the the Aleph bet are the building blocks of creation and when Adam was in the Garden of Eden and each of the crea- creations were brought before him, each of the animals, his job was to give the animal a name. And this name was not arbitrary. Oh, you look cute, you zebra over there. You know, I'm going to call you zebra because zebra is evokes stripes, you know, and everybody's going to think of, when they think of zebras, they're going to think of stripes. That's too arbitrary. There's actually a three-letter root that becomes the divine essence based on the Hebrew letters. That when you recombinate the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, you are working with recombinant DNA, the 22 Hebrew letters. So when Adam said Sus to the horse, and Sus is one of the, the archetypal songs, he is defining that the Samech Vav Samech is the essence of this creature and so for all the rest of of of, uh, of, hum- of all of the created experience Adam is Aleph meaning that we have a spirit connection to the one above and Dam Dam is blood so the Aleph coming, the, the oneness of God enlivening the human flesh is what makes us alive so it's not it's not accidental and each each verse like was known from the beginning of creation from at least from the time of king david that it was known that each each one of these verses reflected the essence of this creature even if it doesn't name the creature in the verse itself and so the these particular like numerical values of the entire verse etc are known to have a certain again vibrational pattern that is a song. When things move, like when you clink onto a a fine crystal, it creates music. Imagine the harmony of the universes. And when we intervene in a destructive way with nature, when we, let's say, do certain kinds of genetic manipulations of things, we are altering the created vibration of this creature. So when you go into the health food store and it says certified not genetically engineered soybeans on your soy milk, you know that you no know, human hasn't intervened in a destructive way here, and that's okay. That's that's got tremendous ramifications for understanding, like how we can we interact with the universe, we humans. Okay. So I'm sorry I was sure. So you're saying that the verses existed prior to any codified or any written. The source. Um, or were they taken from a source that was written by, you know, from the or from the, the Torah itself? Or it's the like, Yisraelim what? Torah I understand. A verse from? I understand. Most? So you're wondering what came first. It's kind of a chicken and an right. egg kind of, a, kind of experience here that I have to give you that answer. Because you, we all know about this concept of the Big Bang. So the Big Bang, in a certain way, happened at the very moment of creation. When, when God said, Yehi-or, the, let there be light, that there was this explosion from this very one tiny, infant, infinitely tiny point of matter that exploded and is continuing to explode out into the universe, into outer space, into the, what the astronomers have begun to measure as a continually expanding universe. And so at that moment, all of experience of, of creation was present so the verses were present the same way there was another sort of big bang that happened on Mount Sinai when God said the first word of the Ten Commandments he said the word Anochi it starts with an Aleph this Aleph was like that point that number one Aleph stands for one in the numerical system that number one became like the the Ten Commandments which then expanded to the 613 mitzvot of the Torah there are exactly 620 letters in the Ten Commandments so each one of those letters represents one of the mitzvot of the, to- the written Torah plus the seven commandments that are given to all of humanity called the se- Sheva Mitzvot ben Noach the seven laws of the Noahide laws that everyone who survived the flood is incumbent to keep these mitzvot too so in a certain way that was the big bang of Torah so it was all present at that time and just like Recomb- recombining it again to create chapters and verses was a later experience. It all came out like it with this one letter of uh, the Aleph of Anochi. Okay, so now a little of the structure of Shira. There are six chapters. It starts out with all the things that are in heaven and earth. It starts out the very first song is Shemaim the heavens. Because of all of the created objects in this universe, the heavens are the largest feature of anything. If you just step outside for a moment and try to fathom the infiniteness of the sky, you can get a hint of it more at night than in the daytime when the sun is obliterating the moon this and the stars but it's vast it's, it's, it's infinite we can't touch the end of the, the sky and then uh, in, in Kabbalah, we have this concept, zel umatzeh bara elohim. This opposing that, God created. That there are always parallel experiences going on. So as much as the sky is infinite, the earth is finite, immeasurable. So the earth is the second of the songs of the first chapter. Then we go through the, the Garden of Eden. Where is that? I mean, some say it's an actual physical place, somewhere between the Euphrates... In the Tigris River, and that's why there's so much heated up intensity going on over there. Okay, so then we've got the chapters of the growing things. Mm-hmm. After we have the, the elements of the of heavens and, er, and the earth, we have, of course, we start out with the seven species of, that are particular to Eretz Israel as you see the grapes on the table, the pomegranates, the wheat, the barley, the dates, and the figs. And each one has its own verse that it sings because its flavor is different, its color is different, its texture is different, it's unique. So it needs to have a unique verse instead of being lumped together with all the fruits. Um, what's cute here is that the chapter 4 is the chapter of the, the birds. They have all of these songs that they sing. It's, and it's true. Each bird has its own unique song. And so therefore, it, all the different types of birds are not lumped together but they each have a different verse. And it's, I thought it was very interesting that the, um, the fish and the, the large sea mammals are in the same chapter as the birds. I thought it was kind of puzzling. I couldn't figure it out until we were just recently at the aquarium in Chicago. And they've completely refurbished it. And they have like um, microphones in the tanks and you can hear the dolphins communicating. You can hear the beluga whales. And it's, it's just, it's unbelievable. You're in a symphony and they're, they're clicking, they're whistling, they're crying, they're like, un- it's unbelievable. It's really, it's really something. It, it's the shed Aquarium. I hadn't been there maybe in 40 years, but it was great. Is that something new? Because I was there a couple of years ago. It was spectacular. I don't know when they instituted it. Like I said, I haven't been there in many years, but it was it was really something. And I was saying I took my parrachia with me, of course. And as, I, as we were going through like the King Komodo, you know, they had the uh, the, the, the giant lizards and they had that was their special show. For this time, like so, I sang the song of the uh, Elim Sheba Shratzin, the, the the largest of all of these um, kind of amphibious reptile creatures, and so I, I stood by its uh, display case and I chanted the song <laughs> of the the, the shratzim. It's it's been it's been really special for me to to have this parashur to hold on to. It's like when there are dark and scary times in Israel. I just pick it up and I say it. Like it, you could say it day or night. It's not like the the actual structure of the pariksha ends with um, this brayta, another one of these external mishnayot, uh, the, one of the mishnas that weren't co- part of the codified mishnah, where there's a, a rebbe who's fasting, Rebbe Yishayahu who is the stu- student of Rebbe Hanina Vindosa. He's fasting 85 fasts. It says that the, the the maximum amount of fasts you're supposed to fast, like one day after another, is 84. But he fasted 85 fasts in protest. What was he protesting? He said, why do the dogs have a song? Now, apologize to any dog lovers here, but he said, the dogs are considered these like chutzpahdik creatures. You know, they just come up to you and jump on you and like, why, do they, why do they have a song? And so, it said that the angel of Habakkuk, the, uh, the prophet came down to him and said wait a minute you have it all wrong don't you know that the dogs have tremendous merit that when the Jews came out of Egypt it says not one dog barked or wagged its tongue at the B'nai Israel when they came out of Egypt and said not only that but I'm going to reveal a secret to you that no one knows that the actual process of preparing parchment for a Sefer Torah and for tefillin and for msuzot involves taking the excrement of dogs and using it to tan this hide. So he said, this is a secret that was only revealed to me and I'm only revealing it to you because you are a student of this Rabbi Finita Bendoza who is unbelievable. I can tell you other stories about him if you want. but he said, I'm going to let you know about this so that you will have respect for every living thing. Klavim Omerim, what do the dogs say? Bo lifnei Hashem o'senu. Let us all come and prostrate ourselves and bow down. Let us kneel before our God, our Maker. It's a verse from the Psalms. It doesn't mention dogs. What's the connection? Because Mm -hmm. the dogs have been treated like it's a dog's world, right? We even have this in English, right? Throw it to the dogs. But the dogs get their reward. They get to sing one of the songs of the Perixirah. Every single living creature, like the ants. You know, we don't like ants at our picnic, right? They're they're annoying. When they climb onto my kitchen counter in the summer, I know that they're living in the sand because our... Floors are made of stone tiles, and they're on a layer of sand. I know that they're tunneling through the sand under my floors. It's part of life. So instead of, like, getting out the worst poisons and <laughs> killing them, I talk to my aunts. I sing them the paroxysm. I say, like, come on, you guys, you know, can't you find a better place? than my kitchen counter... <laughs> Sometimes. Otherwise, I'll, I'll sprinkle a little baking soda. Okay, you know, I'll compromise. Because the and is my theme song right now. I'm on. I, I, I want you to know, I, ever since I learned this, um, this uh, thing about um, Ganadin and Gehenum, there's actually a song for Gehanim also. Gehanim is, is hell. If any, there's a hell of fire for those who have sinned through their passions. By being fiery temperament, you know, or getting angry at other people, being destructive in a fiery way, and there's a hell of snow for people who are cold and apathetic and lazy. So that's my theme song right now is the theme song of the ants because the, the, what does the ant say? It says it's from Proverbs, which is written by King Solomon. It says, "Lech el nemala atzel, The ant says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Look at her ways and become wise. So I'm watching the ants and I'm studying them. And I'm saying, okay, no more lazy. I'm on my anti-lazy campaign of exactly what your question is. Look at the the scorpion. Akrav Omer, Tov Hashem l'kol for rachamav alkol ma'asav. It says the scorpion says God is good to all and his mercy is upon all his handiwork I mean I've been stung by a scorpion (laughs) it's extremely painful I actually was stung when I was eight months pregnant with my first child who was born in the sign of Scorpio I went to the hospital very concerned that the poison would cross the placental barrier and somehow be harmful to my child And they said, no, if anything, it'll give her immunity to future allergic reactions from scorpion stings, which is the real danger with it, you know, what the allergic reaction might be. But it doesn't seem like a very compassionate kind of creature. And yet the verse says God is compassionate to all. God is good to all. So what could that mean? So Rabbi Nelson Slifkin explains in his book, The Song of Creation, And he brings the Kanaf Renanim, which is one of the 12 major commentaries about the Parakshira. He says that the compassionate aspect of this is that the scorpions mainly live in desert areas that are uninhabited. So that they are not really in contact with human beings all that much. When we moved to the Moshev, the land there had been abandoned for 1800 years. No one had lived there. It was just rubble there were no trees it it wasn't a lush area we've created a garden there Kai has been to our house you know you can visualize what it might have been before then and it was filled with scorpions when we first moved in they moved out once it became a human habitation that is the aspect of, of compassion that God has for all of his creatures it's just a, just a small example but we don't know why one verse is sometimes it's obvious but in a case like this we have to read into it and that's where learning this in depth with commentary is highly recommended something you know, I came to mind when you, you described dogs first you said they're clits the dick they jump up and then we read we shall bow down precisely so they took something of their own nature and reversed it absolutely and that's what we all do that's what Abraham Avinu had to do. He is the, you know, in the Sfirot, the way the Sfirot line up, he is the right hand, which is Chesed, loving kindness. He's the first of the Avot. He's the first Jew to stand up and recognize the oneness of God and to stand up to the other people of the world and say, no, there's only one God. These little figurines that you're bearing in the, in the, the planted rose are not creating your fertility of, the, of your crops. There's a one God that's infinite and invisible. So he had to take his nature of chesed, of inviting people in and giving them yummy food and and then telling them when they said thank you, he he would tell them, don't thank me, thank the one God. And through this he created many converts. So he had to take his nature of loving kindness and outward reaching and helpfulness and to absolutely completely turn it inside out to, to put his own son on the altar with a knife at his throat. We Jewish people know a very deep secret. We have to remember it every minute. Even when the knife is at the throat, we should never abandon our hope and our prayer that God will have mercy on us. Even when things look really bleak, where there's my, like my grandmother used to tell me, where there's life, there's hope. Always hope for, for, for compassion, for mercy. Even in this darkest of exiles, of the four exiles that we've experienced, and the seemingly endless one we're beginning to see a little light at the end of the tunnel coming back to Israel it's uh, awesome times we're living in why would you say you picked Parachira to do today Um, I love it and I believe strongly that when a teacher loves their material they give it over with their entire heart and soul I say the picture. I try Balineder got to help me. I should do it every day. It has tuned me into nature. Like I thought, I was tuned into nature. I really get find so much inspiration. I mean, that's how Avraham started. He saw the you know the sun rise and he said, this must be God. Look, you know, all the birds start singing. There's warmth, things grow. And then when he saw the sun set, he said, well, that can't be God, because God has to be something constant. Then he saw the moon rise and the waxing and waning. He said, "This also," and the stars. That a cloud would obliterate the stars. Said, so "No, God is something that has to be shine through."